Thank you, Brian. You know, anyone can praise the Lord when God delivers us and God takes the trial away and God removes the mountain that is in front of us that we're facing. But it is in the trials, it is in the difficulties, it's in the storms of life when we can still sing a song and sing even if he doesn't deliver, the, deliver me from this fire or this trial that I'm going through, we'll still praise him. And by the way, he's still faithful, isn't he? He is still right. He is still faithful. He is still God. And I love the, the song, uh, God wants to hear us sing when the waves are crashing round us, when the, uh, somebody help me, fiery darts surround me, when all the things that are going on, what Paul and Silas in the prison, uh, they lifted their voice and sang praises to the Lord. And you remember that song became a song of evangelism. It reached into the outer courts of the prison, and people heard them singing in the midst of their trial, in the midst of their imprisonment, and it was through that 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 God used their song in the night, and sometimes that is what God chooses to use. That is not the sermon tonight. That is just a free one tonight, all right? Free little sermonette. Revelation chapter 21. This is our 19th sermon, I believe, and I know the announcement video said that we were going to wrap it up, and we are, we are wrapping it up, but we do have probably one or two more sermons from chapter 22. We are going to cover a large section tonight from verse 9 of chapter 21 down through chapter 22 and verse number 5. Of course, we are looking at heaven, the eternal dwelling place of the redeemed. Uh, a place that we looked at last week that will be relocated and placed on the new earth, the new heaven and the new earth. As we mentioned last time in the first several verses of chapter 21, the essential relationship of heaven will be with the redeemed and the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And it will also uh, be a place where we experience a great reversal. As it says, there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. A lot of the things that we are facing here, we will no longer face there. And so we come back again to Revelation 21 tonight, and we're looking at some of the details of the new heaven and the new earth, specifically its capital, the new Jerusalem. And for sake of time tonight, I'm just going to begin by reading verses 9 and 10 And then we will go through the whole section as we go through uh, the message tonight. Verse 9 says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. What, what we see again, it is the eternal dwelling place for you and I. When we leave this earth, it is going to be where we go. And one thing that we can be sure of this evening as we read this is that heaven is not just an imaginary place. It is a real place full of real people. And there's going to be real Activity In these last two chapters, chapter 21 and chapter 22, John uses the word city 11 times. It's a real place. It is a real city and it is being prepared for us and we are being prepared for heaven. What we read about in these last two chapters of 
the Bible and the book of Revelation, it is the fulfillment of what Jesus told his disciples the night before he went to the cross in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Remember, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And notice this, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am in this physical place, you will be also. And so what we're seeing here is the, the fulfillment of that, promise, uh, of that promise that he gave his disciples. Heaven is also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 as the place where Abraham was anticipating landing. He says in Hebrews 11 verse, verse 10, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Later on in that chapter, verse 16, but now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly country. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And it is the place where you and I will spend eternity. I love what Randy Alcorn says. He says, we presently live between Eden and the new heaven and earth, pulled toward what we once were and what we yet will See, all the experiences and the things that Brian was just singing about and the trials and the fire and the difficulty and even the battle that we face with sin day in and day out, it is all used to to give us a sense of anticipation, this longing that we have for our eternal home. The heavens, Paul writes it like this in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, for our light affliction which is but for a moment. You say, my affliction doesn't seem light. Well, when you look at it from an eternal viewpoint, it is light. No matter what we're going through, when we look at it through heavenly lens for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, and that's, that, by the way, is why it is light, because it's just temporary. It's just for a moment and then eternity. So he says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God, knowing our sense of anticipation, he has given us some staggering glimpses of heaven with some very select details, not a whole lot of details. There's a lot about heaven that we do not know. We can try to guess about it. We simply do not know. But he gives us a little brief glimpse of it into, in, in these last two chapters to ignite that anticipation that we have. First of all, I want you to see tonight a portrait of heaven in verses 10 through 23. Now remember that John was there, wasn't he, the night before Jesus went to the cross. He heard the promise from Jesus. And now here he is on this lonely island of Patmos receiving this incredible vision from God and he is able to see that what God had promised him was going to take place. He's given an aerial view, a snapshot portrait of heaven. Look at verses 10 through 23, and let's read through them together, at least most of it. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, 
and had a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth foursquare, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof 140 and four cubits according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall... Uh, of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold. And here it describes the gold like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manners of precious stones. And then we're not going to go through all the precious stones, but he gives us all the different precious stones. Look at verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. It's difficult, even as we read that, to wrap our minds around it, isn't it? To really try to understand what heaven is going to be like. And remember that John is somehow trying to translate what he saw into human wording. He's trying his best to put it into some kind of wording where you can, you and I can get a little bit of a glimpse and, and excite our hope. And as John sees it from above, the thing that strikes him initially, notice it is the glory of God. It is the glory of God that is there, the glory of God's light permeating throughout heaven and literally sparkling with light. It is pictured as a huge, flawless diamond reflecting the brilliant, blazing glory of God. And we've never seen anything like it. We can't even imagine what it's going to be like. Look, we've never, have you ever seen gold that is, is transparent? Gold is the substance throughout this city which is designed to magnify and to display the glory of God. You see, the glory of God, you remember it was briefly seen by the apostles on the Mount of Transfiguration when Christ's glory became visible for just a brief moment of time. But here it comes in its fullness and its eternal expression in a way that has never come before. This is the description of the Father's house, the glory of God's light, a city of gold now descending to a new heaven and a new earth. In his description, look at a few things. First of all, look at the source of heaven in verse number 10. The holy Jerusalem, where is it coming from? It is descending from heaven, descending out of heaven from God. The new Jerusalem is already a place and it is going to come out of heaven here in our text. It has been prepared for us, as Jesus said in John 14 and verse 2. It is going to descend from 
heaven. It is a place that, as he says, is, is being prepared for us even now. The source of heaven is that it's coming out of the heavens. Of course, we know there's three heavens. John says that he was taken to the, the third heaven. So it's descending from heaven, from God. But then we see not only the source of heaven, but the sights of heaven. Twelve gates, each accompanied by angels. So no, Peter is not at the gate. It is accompanied by twelve of the angels. And each of the gates has the name of one of the twelve tribes of Israel engraved upon it. And then on the twelve foundation stones you have inscribed the names of the twelve apostles. And I know what you're thinking. Who is the twelfth apostle? Who is the twelfth apostle? Your guess is as good as mine. We don't know for sure who it is. It could be Matthias who was chosen in Acts chapter 1 to be the apostle that took the place of Judas. It could be the apostle Paul, certainly. But we don't know who it is. But the twelve foundations, that they have inscribed the names of the twelve apostles. The twelve tribes of Israel engraved and the twelve apostles engraved. God has built into the architecture of his eternal house a way of reminding us forever of his redemption plan through the ages. First of all, through Israel, his people, his chosen people, and then through the church. Gates on all four sides of the city. There's gates which say they're open all the time. I love what Steve Lawson said about this. We have every reason to believe that the redeemed will have their dwelling place in the Father's house, as the Lord promised, but be able to leave the city to enjoy the new earth and even perhaps travel to distant planets or even galaxies throughout God's uh, recreated universe. We will repeatedly enter through these gates for unique worship before the throne of God along with other believers, perhaps for special events special seasons of corporate worship, and then we will exit again to serve him on some appointed task or journey. Certainly seems like that is the way that it will be as there is not only a new heaven, but there is a new earth. And then there are all these different stones that are mentioned, and God is revealing to us that he has taken the most beautiful and the most, the most precious gems in the world that we buy in little chips, and he will use them to lavishly decorate with beauty and color the eternal home of his beloved. The brilliant light of God's glory will pass through these many different colored stones and it will be breathtaking. Again, there's no way that John could describe it in a way that we could understand it. We see the source of heaven. We see the sights of heaven that are described. But we also see the size of the city in verses 15 and 16. And he, look at verse 15, he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. It's four square. The length is as large as the breadth. The length and breadth and height are equal. The city has the same dimension in three, wor- in three ways. In other words, it is as long as it is wide as it is high. Which means it could be a cube. It could be a pyramid. Either way, it's going to be beautiful, and it doesn't matter what it is. It is massive. It is massive, as we see. It's 12,000 furlongs. Do you know how far that is? Anybody? 1,500 miles in every direction, including up. Kim and I 
went to Cincinnati this week, and we were there for a night, watched Jarrett at the Ark, and we stayed in a hotel, and we stayed on the 20th floor of this hotel. And as I was going up to the 20th floor and looking out, I thought about this image as I was studying and, and reading this week about this, that 1,500 miles high. Can you imagine that? If every story, let's say there's stories in heaven, if every story was a mile, which is a long way in height, there would be 1,500 stories. Any takers for the 1,500th story? The penthouse is up there, I'm sure. It's 1,500 miles in every direction, including up. He adds one remarkable detail to this, which is also amazing. The 12 gates were 12 what? Massive pearls. Massive pearls. They're gates that are hinged with single pearls, matching, obviously, if it's a door, matching the thickness of the wall, right? And we're given the description of the wall based on the language here and the width of the wall. Each pearl would have a diameter of 250 feet. Now you think, why a pearl? And again, some of this is speculation, but I love what John Phillips wrote in regards to this. All the other precious gems... Out of all the other precious gems, the pearl is the only gem mentioned which is formed by living flesh. The living oyster receives an irritation or a wound and and around that offending article that has penetrated and hurt it, the oyster layers over it and over it again and again until it builds a pearl. As the believers come and go through the gates of glory, they will be forever reminded that access to God's home is only because of Calvary. Think of the size of those gates. What gigantic suffering is symbolized by those gates of pearl. Throughout the endless ages, we shall be reminded by those pearly gates of the immensity of the sufferings of Christ. Those pearls hung eternally at the access routes to glory will remind us forever of one Uh, who hung up on a tree and whose answer to those who injured him was to invite them to share his home forever. These massive gates of pearl. The size of heaven is, again, beyond our human comprehension. And they stand open forever. In this city, there will be no darkness at all. Everything is open. There are no more secrets. There is no more mystery The mystery of God will be forever over and everything will be plain to be seen. But then I want you to notice not only the source and the sights and the size, but notice the sanctuary of the city. Look at verse 22 again. I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. See, John didn't see a temple because Jesus is the temple. You think about the Old Testament temple. They were only a picture, a prophecy of really the Lord Jesus Christ. It had a gate and a door, but Jesus would later say, I am the door. I am 
the only door. It had an altar, but Jesus shed his blood for us. It had a table of bread in it. But what did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. It had a golden uh, candelabra in the old temple, but Jesus again and John would say, I am the light of the world. Incense was burned, but Jesus said, I am your high priest. Jesus is the temple of heaven. He is the sanctuary. You know, when I come in from a trip, I don't go over to the, the couch and hug the couch and say, I'm so glad to see you couch. Sometimes I do hug the refrigerator, but no. I don't do that. I want to see Kim. And listen, I love all the descriptions of heaven. The streets are described for us in ways that we can't even imagine. And the walls and the gates of pearl, all of it. But listen, it is Jesus that is going to make it heaven. He is the sanctuary, the lamb. We see just a human portrait, just an overview, an aerial view that John gives us. But then I want you to see the purity of heaven in verses 24 through 27. The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall, notice, in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. As we said, heaven is a place for a prepared people, for a pure people. Not only are there no secrets in heaven, not only is the mystery over, but thank God there is no sin in heaven. There is nothing there that is defiled. Only the saved, only the redeemed will enter into it. Those, he says, who are written in the Lamb's book of life, renewed by the Spirit of God, living in the power of an endless and sinless life. In fact, you will not go to heaven unless you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. You will not go to heaven unless the righteousness of Jesus has been applied to you. I love this human illustration. I don't think that this is how it's going to be, but it helps us understand the thought here. Jerry Vines gives this kind of present day parable. He says, one man knocked at the gate and the voice within said, who is it that seeks entrance into heaven and what is the password? And the man said, I am a humanitarian. And he said, what is the password? He said, the password is charity. The voice within said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. Another man knocked, who is it that seeks entrance into heaven? What is the password? And he said, I am a moral man. What is the password? The password is honesty. I'm sorry, depart from me. I never knew you. Another knock came. Who is it that seeks entrance into heaven? And what is the password? He said, I am a religious man. The password is ritual. I went every service. I did all the things I was supposed to do. 
And the voice within said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. He says, finally, one man came and he knocked at the gate of heaven in this dream. And the voice within said, who is it that seeks entrance into heaven? And what is the password? And the man said, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. That was the password. Because it's nothing that we have done. It is simply faith and what we talked about this morning. The gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not trusting your humanitarianism. Not trusting your charity. Not trusting your religion. Not trusting your membership into this church. But trusting in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God. We see the purity of heaven, don't we? And if there's anything that I long for in heaven, it is to be absent from sin. The temptations of it. The grip that it has on people's life. The grip that it can get on my life. No longer to struggle with the battles of sin and self It is a place of purity. Lastly, I want you to see the pleasures of heaven described in chapter 22. Look at the first five verses of chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb in the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life. By the way, that reminds us of what? The Garden of Eden which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. I find it interesting the details that he gives here about this. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face. I love that statement. And his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. What we see in these verses are a people, you and I, who will have deep satisfaction and deep gladness. Similar to the scene that we read about in Genesis describing the original Garden of Eden before the curse of sin took effect. They're enjoying the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. Enjoying this tree of life which is described as having 12 different fruits every month. And and I find it interesting that it reminds us no heaven is not going to be boring. It is going to be a place of variety. It is going to be a place of cycles. The months inform us that it is going to be a place of cycles. And and life in God's city, it is characterized by purity and pleasure and prosperity, all directly linked to our relationship with God. That is why we never consider this life to be our best life. We're not looking for prosperity here. That's for our next life. Then he says the leaves of the tree were for healing of nations. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? There's no sickness there. What's the need for healing? The word here for healing is where we get the word therapeutic. It doesn't imply illness. 
These leaves were life-giving. They were health-giving. They were therapeutic. They enriched our lives. Verse 3 reminds us that there will be no more curse. The throne and the Lamb of God will be there. Revelation 4, as we studied that months ago, it has already given us a description of this throne. Remember, this is the throne that's coming down from heaven to the new heaven and new earth. And so it's given for us in Revelation 4, verses 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardin stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight likened to an emerald, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne There was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Amazing scenes. The throne of God. And then he says, and his servants shall serve him. We're going to serve him for eternity. We're going to travel, no doubt, into the new heaven, into the new earth. And then look at verse 4. Finally, we will see him face to face. You remember Exodus 33? God said, if anybody looks on my face, they'll what? They'll die. They'll be consumed. No man can see me and live. But that changes in heaven. In our glorified bodies, in our... In our new state, we can look at the blazing glory of God in all its fullness and not die. Can you imagine looking into the very face of God to see all that he is in his character? The hymn writer said this, The bride eyes, not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on My king of grace. We also see in verse number four, sanctified tattoos, I guess. His name shall be on their foreheads. I love that because that's eternal security. No doubt who we belong to, right? We are his. We will belong to him forever and ever. Jesus writes to the church at Philippi in Revelation chapter 3 in verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God which is new Jerusalem which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Then look at verse 5. There shall be no night there. No, no need of candles, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. And I love this last statement. It's humbling. It's hard to imagine. And they shall reign forever and ever. Not just serving, but reigning. So undeserving, so unworthy. As we live our lives... Here on this earth, may we fix our eyes on heaven. It's a lot what we talked about this morning. Do we live with a temporary view? 
you really grasp heaven, when you really grasp what some that we love and some that we have lost this year are experiencing, it would change the way we lived our life here. It would change what we did on a daily basis. It would change what we invested in, wouldn't it? It would change how we lived our life. In this life, we will have tribulation, he says. We will have heartache. And guess what? If the Lord doesn't come back pretty soon, we're all going to experience death. It is part of this life. So let us keep our eyes on eternity. As Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, if you're in Christ, seek those things which are above. Seek those things that we talked about tonight from Revelation 21 and 22. Get a fresh daily glimpse of heaven and of God and his glory. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Isn't it so easy to get our sights on the temporary? Isn't it so easy for us to love the temporary? Oh, I love this dress. I love that dress. I love Terry's black shirts. I love that car. Oh, I love that house. Really? I mean, compared to eternity? Compared to what is in heaven? Really? That's what he's saying. Set your love, set your affections on things above. Or Matthew, lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Notice this last verse, and we'll close. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. A lot of times we just kind of read through that, don't we? You know what he's saying? Where you choose and I choose to put my treasure, that's what our heart will follow. Where we choose to put our treasure. For where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Where we choose to invest, that's what we will love. So he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on heaven. Set your affections on things above. It's, it's humbling, it's convicting in the richest nation in the world. May God help us to look and live through eternal perspectives. And what's the song say? May we hold loose to the things of this earth. The things of this earth hold, help me. We'll grow strangely dim, but there's a the light of his glory and grace. It's earlier in the song. But it talks about holding loose to the things of this earth. Holding them lightly, which means, you know, it's not wrong to have things. We see that in Scripture, that God blessed people with a lot of things. But it is wrong for things to have you and things to have me, which is, means this. If God says, give it up, we hold it so loosely that we gladly give it up. We just hold it loosely. It's temporary. Father, thank you for a glimpse, just a glimpse. 
just enough to excite our hope of eternity, just enough to help us to change our perspective in this life. And Lord, I pray that it would change the way that we live. I do pray that it would, um, Lord, help us to be reminded that eternal souls that we come into contact every day will spend an eternity either in heaven or in hell. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be reminded of this. And Lord, that we would set our affections on things above. Thank you, Lord, that you're already there. And we don't know what it's like. We don't know if you're still preparing or if it's already prepared. We don't know how all that works. But we're excited to be there. We're excited to see your face. We're excited for all that we have read tonight. But mostly we're excited to be in your presence for eternity. To serve you. To worship you. And even as humbling as it is to reign with you forever and ever. We thank you for these promises. We thank you, Lord, that we have something in this life to live for and to look to. And we pray, Lord, that you would remind us as we leave here tonight and go into our, our week, our work week, as some of us travel to other places. I pray, Lord, that you would give us an eternal mindset and an eternal perspective. And we pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.